starting a new sermon series this morning called Winning Over Worry. I don't know about you, but uh, 2020 has uh, generated uh, more worry than typical. Some of us worry a lot anyway, but 2020, man, it's really uh, amped it up. (laughs) So here we are. But we're going to win over worry by faith in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to spend weeks, I don't know how many weeks. I originally thought that it was going to be eight weeks in this sermon series, but what I thought was going to be the first sermon is now two. So it's going to be at least nine weeks, and that's just because of preparation for the first sermon. So we're going to be in this till we're done. And today we're going to be in, in Psalm 91. This is an amazing thing. So here's the deal. I'm going to mention this again later, but my challenge to you is that each of us read Psalm 91 91 times in the next 91 days. I want to encourage you to read it at least once every day, 91 days in a row. So get out a calendar or make hash marks on the wall in your bedroom or whatever it is you need to do to, you know, create a document, record it there. But every day for 91 days, read Psalm 91. This is powerful stuff. And um, we should camp here individually and as a church. So we're not going to spend 91 days preaching from this psalm. We're going to spend a couple weeks. But um, 91 times in 91 days. And when, when you read it at home alone in your devotional time, um, personalize it. Picture yourself. Use your own name if you need to, but um, apply it to your own life. I want to begin this morning by reading Psalm 91. There's 16 verses. I'll be reading from the New International Version. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrows that fly by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent, for He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him. And honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Wow, the word of the Lord from Psalm 91. 
So where do you turn? When our daughter Kimmy was a toddler, I was pushing her in a swing after church one Sunday, and I, I don't even know if she was two years old yet. She was, she was two years old, my wife says. She was three years old. So she liked to go as high as possible in the swing. You know, so when the swing's coming back to me, I'm catching it like up here and pushing it. You know, I mean, she just loved to swing. And so after, after church, Lucy and I were at the time um, attending and helping with a church plant. And so they rented out a preschool. And so outside of the preschool to do their Sunday services. And they, outside the preschool, they had this, this little uh, playground area. And it was covered with that black, that black mat which was really good this day it was covered with that because that's way better than landing on the dirt or some other hard surface. But so Kimmy's, you know, I'm swinging her for all I'm worth. And I'm talking to, to one of the pastors and, and we're chatting and, and he's a big guy, bigger than me. And, and uh, we're manly men, you know, because we've declared ourselves manly men. And I swing my daughter, you know, from up here. I can't get that arm up there anymore since my shoulder replacement and pastor t-rex with my little little arm but but i swung her you know for all i was worth like i had been and as she's traveling away from me her rear leaves the seat of the swing and then she's just hanging on by her hands and the, and she gets to the other end of the arc and keeps going she loses her grip she, she does a back a gainer you know a backwards flip and goes into that black mat like um, 10 feet past where the seat would swing in the ark the other way. Goes head first into that black mat. Face first, man. Boom. And, and uh, we were both like, ha, ha, ha. And went over there, and she's got a skid mark down her face from where she went into that mat. And quicker than I've ever seen in my life, a chicken egg sized bump on her three year old head. I mean, like that. By the time we got over there, it, it wasn't a little swelling, it was a chicken egg. And uh, so, me, me and Kent, the other guy, we lost use of the English language temporarily. And I scooped her up, and Lucy happened to be talking to his wife, and we went over there, you know, like above our pay grade, you know, and <laughs> neither one of us can form a word. You know, and, and so um, we end up, you know, of course, we took her to the emergency room and, you know, off-center unicorn, man, and big skid mark. And, and so we didn't have to wait too long, but you had to wait a little bit. At the, and so they, they did x-rays and examined her and everything, said she was fine, said it was the right thing to do to bring her to the emergency room, but they didn't anticipate any further damage and some signs to watch for for concussion and stuff. And then put ice on it right gave her some baby Tylenol or something and and uh, I don't even remember when the skid mark got is it cleaned off yet I don't even remember when <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, it was awful I mean in an instant things just went out of control and and uh, it was horrible I mean I, I told a couple weeks ago about when when Lucy was pregnant with our son, he was twins, and we lost the other twin about halfway through the pregnancy. And normally the mother expels both the babies at that point, but but uh, 
Lucy kept the other baby, and, and uh, the doctor really didn't tell us everything. He was in control of her treatment, but he wasn't telling us everything. And there's a parallel there sometimes between what we know and what God knows. You know, he didn't tell us everything. It was, um, you know, it was like touch and go. She was on bed rest for um, four months. And, and um, the women in the church gathered around us. There, there, was, there were um, faithful prayer people who prayed every day to God to, to bless Lucy and to bless that other child. And, uh, um, I mean, you look at them now. You look at them and you think blessed, right? It's because of their prayers and God's faithfulness. Um, and I got this wrong last time I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. But um, the day he was born, the day of the year he was born on. I missed it by a day. But, but uh, so they prayed. And the doctor, you know, a month before, um, you can't tell now, but he was a big baby. Um, and the the doctor a month before Lucy was due said, you know, get off of bed rest, get up and start moving around. And he thought that day or any time she'll go ahead and deliver because it had been so iffy on her carrying him. Well, the women in the church and others had been praying um, for him to reach his due date. And he was born on the due date. I mean, that almost never happens just anyway, right? He was born on the day, September 19th, I now remember correctly. So, <laughs> dad of the year. Um, but I just remember the vulnerability, the lack of control. And um, even when you're not focusing on it, you don't really put it down, you know. Um, and I know some of us are, have gone through and are going through things exactly like that now. Um, all day, every day, it's there. And, um, and then a, a, another time, Lucy's thyroid got out of whack, and, and she went from this vibrant person to this person who didn't rest at night. I mean, we, w- we would cuddle in bed, and, and her heart beating would wake me up. You know, the back, her back against my chest, her heart would beat so hard that I would think somebody was tapping me and wake me up at night. I mean, and it took a while to figure it out because she had half the symptoms that normally accompany hyperthyroidism and not the other half. And so her primary care wouldn't test for it. And finally, a female optometrist looked in her eyes and asked her about it and, sa- and got him on the phone and in front of us chewed him out. But, you know, we're, we're a cu- couple years into this by now, right? So she had to have her thyroid nuked. They partially kill it so it can't overproduce. And then they figure out how much it is producing and supplement that with Synthroid. So that's a a long process. So after she got nuked, you know, she couldn't be around her kids for a while. They didn't care if I, like, you know, my hair fell out and I got, like, radiation poisoning. But couldn't be around our kids, right? Which, you know, we're glad that didn't happen. Um, But again just a season of fear and the unknown and lack of control. So, um, in moments like these, when you face times of trouble, my question for you is, where do you turn? Where do you turn? That's important. Have an answer and be honest with yourself. Where do you turn? Today, all of us, we're in the midst of a crisis um, with COVID-19. And, and uh, it's an interesting time 
for all of us. It's an interesting time to be a pastor. One person will say, how come you ever stop the services? Another person will say, I can't come. You know, can't be in the building. It's too risky. Um, people people who, who uh, I've known all my life are at each other's throat on social media over all the implications of of the intrusion of the government and who should make these decisions and should we have to do that and why aren't you doing that and and I have some friends that I, that I grew up with um, in southern Arizona and and there's a sister that's I don't know six years older than me and then I was friends with her brothers there's a brother that's two years older than me and another one that's my age and I was friends with those two brothers but but that youngest brother and that oldest sister um and they just go at it on social media. They just go at it. And so I put on there one day, can I come to Thanksgiving with you guys? <laughs> you know, because that's going to be an amazing day. <laughs> and he lives, you know, he lives in the Pacific Northwest and she lives in Arizona. So I don't even know if they get together for Thanksgiving. But, you know, that's always a joke when family's fighting. Well, Thanksgiving's going to be interesting, right? So I asked him if I could come to Thanksgiving with him. So she said, not this year, but maybe next year. <laughs> um, so we're in the midst of a crisis with COVID-19, we, you know, for all these reasons, you know, directly because of the threat of the virus and, and the health consequences it can have on us and our loved ones and, our, and others. Um, many of us, and then all the other, you know, who should have what role in our lives, you know, should the government be doing this, all that stuff. Many of us have been experiencing fear at the possibility of contracting the virus, right? Of being hospitalized and perhaps even dying. Uh, some of us are fearful. Some of us can say fearful. Some of us are fearful about elderly family members or loved ones with compromised immune systems. We, we have that in my family. And so, you know, we're like in tune to that, Right? Um, there's a, a Nazarene pastor in Yuma, Arizona that passed away last week from COVID-19. And, and I didn't know him personally, but I never, you know, never knew that he had any like compromise, you know, to his health system or whatever. But he got COVID-19 and in a week and a half, he's gone. So it happens, and it happens to us. Even if we weren't afraid or aren't afraid of the coronavirus for health reasons, many of us are certainly worried for financial reasons. Some, of, some have lost their jobs or had hours cut. Many of us are watching our retirement accounts like... Come up back a little bit. I mean, you know, it's all over the place, right? But it's not in a general upward direction. And we were counting on that money for retirement. To one degree or another, we are experiencing some degree of anxiety. To make matters worse, we can't even have normal church activities. You know, I mean, we're gathering for worship, but but at least half the chairs are stacked, and then we got the six foot between rows, and, and nobody that is sitting close to somebody that they didn't come with from the same home this morning. A lot of people are watching on live stream or the recording because they're, they 
don't feel it's the right thing for them to to come into the building and be even this close to each other. And I completely support all of that. Wherever you stand on that, I support you. You got to do what you got to do for you and yours, and only you can make that decision. It's your responsibility and it's your right. And whatever it is, I support you. Um, many of us, to one degree or another, we're experiencing anxiety, and to make matters worse, we can't even have normal church activities. And you know, if there's anywhere in our lives, normally. It's church on Sunday where you can relax and love and be loved. And we have to do that now in an entirely different way. And I don't know about you, but I'm not, we're not used to it yet. I'm not used to it yet. And, and I don't know that, that uh, this is what I would choose if I was given a choice going forward. We long to worship together and to experience community. The pressing questions we're all facing are these. How are we going to hold up under these tremendous burdens and uncertainties? There are some social, psychological pathologies that have just really ramped up in 2020 because of how much this has changed our lives. Are we going to let a flood of fear and anxiety overwhelm us? Will we find our refuge in the Lord amidst this distress? What does it mean, as it says in Scripture, that the Lord is our strength and refuge? Is God going to spare us? Our loved ones? Or is God going to strengthen and sustain us through all that's happening and what will come? What does that even look like? Where do you turn in the midst of uncertainty and loss? When we feared for the health of our children, and on many other occasions, Lucy and I have talked about this psalm before. It's been a a minute. But Lucy and I, I know, have both turned to this psalm, Psalm 91, which I believe for me anyway, is one of the most beloved chapters in the Bible. I love the words of this psalm. We don't know the author of this psalm. Many of the psalms, we know who wrote it. But this one, we don't know definitively who the author is. Some ascribe it to David. Others say it was Moses that wrote it, but no one knows for sure. So we don't know for sure who the author is. And likewise, we don't know the occasion that prompted the writing of this psalm. Nothing in the psalm points to its historical background. Um, Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that helps it not be rooted in in one occurrence in history, but be available to be current and applicable um, freely to each and every follower of Christ today. Um, And something else that can be hard to figure out is there seems to be more than one voice apparently speaking in the psalm at different points. But the message of Psalm 91, given all that, the message of Psalm 91 is clear. Times of trouble are times for trust. And Psalm 91 divides into three sections. The 
first section, the psalmist affirms that God is his refuge. The first two verses, Psalm 91, verse 1 and 2. In the second section, which is Psalm 91, verses 3 through 13, the psalmist describes how the Lord is our refuge. And then the last three verses, Psalm 14 through 16, the psalm concludes with God himself confirming that he is, in fact, our refuge. So, the psalmist says in the first two verses, God is my refuge. God is my refuge. And that's the theme for the entire psalm. God's protection. And that's given to us in the first verse, Psalm 91, verse 1, who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Let me read that again. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Now, most people know that dialing the numbers 911 in the U.S. will get them in touch with emergency help, right? 911 is so simple that even preschoolers have saved family members by knowing to pick up the phone and dial 911 and talk to somebody. Three numbers do it all, 911. Well, guess what? God has a 911 number. It's Psalm 91, verse 1. 911. It's a number you can use. So let's make sure we have the digits right by breaking down this verse. The word whoever refers to any person. Man, woman, or child. Now notice the images of closeness. Dwells. Rest. Or some versions say abide. Shelter. And shadow. These terms suggest we're right next to God. In other words, the blessings promised here are not for all people, maybe not even for all believers, but for those who live in close fellowship with God. That's some of the motivation for reading Psalm 91 at least once a day for the next 91 days. How about we park it next to God and dwell in His presence and under His protection in close fellowship with God. The verb dwells, it means to sit. So we're to sit in the shelter of the Most High. The noun translated shelter, or in in one version, protection, can also mean a secret place, as it's translated in, in a couple other versions. So shelter, or protection, or secret place. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus says we're to go, that we are to go into your room and close the door and pray to our Father in secret. It's very possible that Jesus himself was reflecting on Psalm 91, verse 1, when he said this. If so, that makes Psalm 91, verse 1, or 911, one of the most significant verses on prayers in the entire Bible. During COVID-19, are you getting alone with God and seeking Him in prayer? I want to encourage all of us to pray Psalm 91 for the next 91 days. Read through it. Pray through it. Personalize it. Let it be your confession. So, will you do so? Can you do that? I want to encourage you to do that. I can't think of a better use of your time during this time 
whether we're under a full lockdown or partial lockdown or however we choose to navigate that. In Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2, the psalmist uses four different names for God. The first is translated into the English, Most High, Elion is the original word, which means God is above all other so-called gods. There's four names for one God. The Bible is clear throughout. If you have any doubt about how many gods there are, go to the book of Isaiah, read chapters 43 through 46. The people that want to knock on my door and come in and talk, and I'm nice to them, but they don't come in because we don't have fellowship. I go out of the porch and shut the door behind me, and I take them to Isaiah 43. It says, I alone am God. There is none before me. There is none after me. I alone am God. There's one God. He's got more than one name in the Bible because in the finiteness of our human minds, we struggle to adequately express and describe the infinite awesomeness of the God we know and serve. So there's more than one name, but it's describing one God. The Bible is unequivocal on that, never varies from that. There was so... I alone am God. So in the present, when God said that, there was one God. There is none before me. There is none after me. I alone am God. So there is nowhere in all of eternity, all of the span of existence, where you can go and there ever was or ever is or ever will be any other God. So where we live in southern Idaho, that's an important distinction to know. Isaiah 43 43 through 46, over and over, like a drumbeat. We see in there, knowing the New Testament things that we understand as the Father, as the Son, the Savior, and God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. We see the Trinity, three in one. One God revealing Himself to us in three persons. I alone am God, there is no other. So, frequently, I pound this home. This is for us. Where we live in our time, there is one God. And the greatest gift we could give our neighbors who don't understand that is to lead them to saving faith in Jesus Christ because believing that there's more than one God, they don't yet have it. So let us love them enough. So, anyway. Elion, which means God is above all other so-called gods. He's everywhere and controls everything. We are, therefore, to dwell in His shelter, in His secret place. Are you calling out to the Most High for your daily protection and provision? Do you live in a moment-by-moment reliance on Him? We're in the process of being shaken to the core. Who knows if life will ever be like it used to be last year? Who will we depend upon? The one who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. The verb rest or abide refers to lodging or spending the night, staying somewhere indefinitely, living there. We're to make ourselves at home with the Lord. Jesus and John both frequently use the verb abide In the New Testament, the word means to remain or continue with and refers to intimate fellowship. 
the safest place in the world. During this lockdown, how can you know if you're pursuing intimate fellowship with the Lord? Psalm 91 verse 1 answers this question. But let me ask you a question. What is the safest place in the world? What is the safest place in the world? A bomb shelter? A bank vault? A fort surrounded by an army? According to Psalm 91 verse 1, the safest place in the world is a shadow. A shadow is an Old Testament metaphor for protection. It's that which covers or shields us from something. When the psalmist was writing this psalm 3,000 years ago, shadows provided protection from the harsh, harsh Middle East sun. One of the things Lucy and I did on vacation was we went to City of Rocks. That was a really awesome place. First time we, we lived in Idaho, three and a half years, first time we've been there. That was a blast. And, and we stopped way in the southwest corner of the park. We, we went through the main part that most people go on and turn around and go back through. And, and then we went right outside the park, went south and came back in in the southwest corner of the park. And these pinyon juniper trees, there were pinyon juniper trees around where I was born and grew up in Arizona. And, and uh, so we, there was this parking lot and a, and a toilet there and nobody was there. Nobody came by or came there. The whole time we were there for lunch, we had it all to ourselves. It was awesome. But it was, it was a sunny day, and we're at a little higher elevation than here, and there was a cloud in the sky. So we sat in the shade. We sat in the shadow. It was night, you know. It, night, I love nice, bright, sunny days. But um, I'd have been out in the sun long enough to get a sunburn just having lunch that day. So we sat in the shadows of these trees. And, and um, so there were all these pinyons on the ground. They're called pinyon junipers because they grow these, these kind of turquoise, light green colored things that turn into a seed. And then they fall off. And, and when I grew up in Arizona, um, those were collected fresh. And, and all the time when I was a kid, we ate pinyons um, like you'd eat sunflower seeds. And if you get them when they're fresh, they're good. You can crack the shell off of them and there's a nice little meaty seed thing inside and they're tasty. Um, these had been there for years. So I collected some up to, to bring them home to, to my granddaughter and, and let my kids look at them because that's the kind of cuddly granddad I am. And uh, we, we tried to eat one, and they were ancient and not tasty. The first one I cracked open, the, sh- the thing inside was like a rock. I'd have broken teeth before I broke that thing trying to chew it. But anyway, so fun, fun in the shade. But we stayed in the shade, okay? Um, When this psalm was written, shadows provided the protection from the harsh Middle East sun. We have no idea what the sun is like over there living here. Um, It's savage. Uh, If the heat was severe, the shade of the shadow would reduce the pain people would feel or even save their life. You know, imagine you're out somewhere in the desert, days between sources of water, in that kind of sun and heat. When you're, when we're in the shadow of the Almighty, we won't face the full heat of our emotional and spiritual and physical difficulties. The second word for God is the Almighty. 
It's the Hebrew word Shaddai. We're familiar because of a popular song from years ago, El Shaddai. Shaddai means the mighty king, the sovereign judge of the world who grants life and blesses and withholds life and judges sin. The safest place in the world, the safest place in the world is under the Almighty's shadow. To be close enough to the Almighty that His presence dwells over you. But in order to experience His protection, you must be close enough to the Almighty to be inside the area where His shadow is cast. What the psalmist is doing is telling us how to be safe. And that's something everyone wants, isn't it? How can you be safe in a world like the one where we live in? Heaven's 911. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. So after making one of the most profound statements in Scripture, the psalmist affirms this truth for himself a moment of personal confession. He found himself, he himself has found shelter with the Lord. In the same way, as we read Scripture, we must personalize it and affirm it as true in our own experience. Biblical truth ought to lead to personal confession. With unwavering resolve, the psalmist now gives his confession in the second verse, Psalm 91, verse 2. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. The psalmist declares his own faith before going on to apply it to us in verses 3 through 13. Now, here... In the passage we're looking at today, the first couple of verses, notice the personal pronouns. I is used twice in verse 2. My is used three times. I and my. It's very personal. The psalmist speaks to my God. My God in verse 2. The third name for God used here is the word Lord, which is the Hebrew term Yahweh, emphasizing the fact that God is the uncreated one. I am. There's none before me. There's none after me. I alone am the Lord. He's the one who is. There's nothing in God's presence that's under time constraints. The past is as vivid to Him as the present. The future is as vivid to God as the present. The term Lord also emphasizes God's covenantal care to His people. The fourth name for God is translated God. In the original language, it's Elohim, who made heaven and earth. That's found in Psalm 121, verse 2. This God, Elohim, can help us when every earthly comfort fails. The one who protects us is the one who needs no protection himself. I want to encourage you that this passage reveals to us that the Lord will be with us 
God's presence and power revealed in the first verse lead to his protection. The psalmist declares that the Lord is my refuge and my fortress. A refuge is a place that's made safe by the fact that enemies don't know how to find it. We can go into the protection of the Lord and our enemies don't know how to get in there to attack us. We are safe. The term refuge is also used in this psalm in verse 4 and verse 9. So that threefold repetition tells us this is a very important concept. Let us grab a hold of it. A fortress is a place that's made safe by the fact that enemies can't overcome it. So God is both. God is the secret place where they can't get to us. And God is our fortress where they can't attack. They cannot overcome. The people of the ancient Middle East lived under constant threat of military invasions by neighboring powers. They were frequently brutal in their tactics. So the overtone of the first part of Psalm 91 verse 2 is that Yahweh is able to protect His people from the very worst of their fears. Imagine not having social media or the news or internet and widespread communication and, and knowing that at any time, you know, a stream of people could appear on the horizon and to come and overwhelm you. God is our secret place and God is our fortress. So what are the worst fears you're actually feeling right now? Or what may come for this week or the next? Is it reduced ability to get food or medication? Is it long-term lockdown, isolation with lack of community, loss of income, loss of your job, the health of loved ones, or even the loss of your own life? It would be so reassuring if I could say that the Lord promises to spare us from any of that happening. But He doesn't. What is reassuring is the Lord will be with us. The Lord will be with you through it all. The Lord will be with you. And that's where we're going to leave it today. The Lord will be with you. We're going to explore that and some other things uh, next week as we continue in this psalm. The Lord will be with you through it all. But, like the psalmist, you must cry out to Him as my refuge, my fortress, and my God in whom I trust. You must speak these words to the Lord. You must speak them over your loved ones. The Lord is our ultimate provider now and forevermore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your great faithfulness. Thank You for Your great power. There is none other. There is no equal. There is no challenge to Your authority and Your power and to Your good and pleasing and perfect will having its way in our lives. We humble ourselves before You. We bring all our frailty 